0: Hi, you're listening to the Inside Family Law Podcast, and I'm reporting here live at the wonderful AFCC conference in Sydney. Um, I'm just here talking with um, Diana Bryant, um, who has been one of the presenters here at this conference. And um, Diana has been had a long career um, in, in the family law process. What is it that you um, do and used to do, Diana?
1: Okay. Thanks, Zoe. Um, I started off as a, as a solicitor and barrister doing family law, In the early days of the Family Law Act, which was pretty interesting, when we were all learning about everything together. Um, And then I was a barrister for 10 years in Melbourne Bar, and then in 2000 I became the first Chief Federal Magistrate of the newly created Federal Magistrates' Court. So I had the experience of setting up a new court, which was really interesting. And then four years later, in 2004, I became the Chief Justice of the Family Court of Australia, which position I held until I retired in 2017.
0: And what have you been doing since retirement from that position? I can see you're not exactly what I would call retired.
1: <laughs> a lot of things. i uh, been at Melbourne University Law School as their judge in residence, um, giving, giving some lectures and mentoring students a bit and also going to some courses myself, which have been interesting, not in family law. Um, I am Chair of the World Congress on Family Law and Children's Rights, and we're having a big conference in Singapore next year, that keeps me pretty busy. I'm Chair of the National Centre Against Bullying, which is under the auspices of the Alana and Madeline Foundation. I'm the President of the Graduate Union, which runs Graduate House, which is a postgraduate accommodation near Melbourne Uni, Um, among other things.
0: Now if I could just speak with you a bit about, you were presenting, I mean you've been presenting on a few things, but at mm. this conference we are talking about, um, you know, what would be on the wish list for reform and obviously, you know, reform is a topic that's quite um, important at the moment, mm. um, do you have any thoughts that you'd be willing to share with our listeners about um, your thoughts, I mean just your personal thoughts for reform?
1: Sure, and I'll try and talk about it in two ways, if you like, because it was an interesting session where we're trying to look at sort of blue skies. We've got the Australian Law Reform Commission report just recently about the family law system, and I think and we hear every week in the newspaper there's an article about the family law system is broken, and I hate, I hate hearing that because certainly parts of it do not work well, but I, mean, I think it's a pity to say the whole system is broken because then you're sort of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and that's not a good idea because m- many parts of it are good. So I'll talk a little bit about what I see as some big sort of blue sky things and then what we might do with what we've got, I suppose. Um, I think one of the things that emerged this morning from it was that we absolutely need to educate parents and maybe we even start educating children at school about what it's like to go through divorce and how important it is that... Parents learn to focus on the best interests of the children. Now it's very difficult for parents, and I understand this um, over the years of particularly when I was in practice acting for people, people come out of a relationship angry, resentments, all the things that they've been feeling for years, which led to the breakdown of their marriage. And it's really difficult for them to put that aside and focus on what's best for their children. Um, and once they get into the sort of cycle of fighting about their children, it just gets worse. So we need to make sure that we educate people about the the uh, inherent dangers of creating conflict because it really affects children badly and people don't understand that little babies is interesting the the brain development of little babies can be severely affected by being exposed to family violence and that means even if it's shouting and raised voices and unpleasantness and people don't understand that at all so there's a lot of learning for parents to do i think about how important it is to resolve disputes early, get help early, go to see a mediator, go to see a psychologist, get assistance to negotiate your way um, through and try and settle things amicably for the kids. And people are doing all sorts sorts of innovative things being done around the country by different groups. Um, Relations Space, for example, runs online, uh, online therapies. so you don't have to actually go along, you can do this online, remotely or at much less expense. Um, You've got people who are now becoming divorce coaches, which I think is interesting, which sort of helps people get into the right space themselves to be able to then make decisions about what's best for their children and their future in the process of negotiating agreements or getting orders. So I think education is a really big issue that as a community, I think we have a responsibility to address. Um, So that's what I think is that one of the big picture things Um, Some of the the, uh, things that we can do now, I I think we should be certainly listening to trying to incorporate the children's voice better than we do and I've been trying to do that for a number of years. I tried to set up a young person's advisory group um, and got part way towards that before I I left the court Uh, and I think that we need standardisation of the way that independent children's lawyers deal with children. They don't always talk to the children and they should. Um, My former colleagues in overseas countries, particularly European countries, talk to children as a matter of course Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not advocating that judges necessarily meet with children but I do think that we should be ensuring that we do get children's voices heard and I like the phrase that my overseas colleagues use which is a voice not a choice so the Mm -hmm. children have a voice which ought to be heard because Mm. that's respectful Mm. and but it's not their choice in the end about what happens and I think Mm. that we we do you know psychology we get reports expert reports um, which incorporate children's views but I'm I don't think that we actually let the children know that their views are being heard and respected and i think we need to do that better and i've been trying i was trying to do that before i left the court find ways of making sure that the children in the system whose voices are heard understand that they're heard
0: i think that's actually really important and i like that word respect that you Mm. use that there is some respect for their perspectives Mm. um when i was doing the original book which before this podcast Mm. um, one of the interviewees who was a 19 year old reflecting on she'd been in and out of Family Court her whole childhood and she'd said she'd never really felt like her voice was heard and maybe it was but it wasn't, the feedback loop wasn't getting back to her that it did matter, you know? Well
1: that's absolutely right and that first sort of dawned on me about a year after I'd been appointed to the Family Court there was a children's forum that they, schools have a forum and they nominate a person at the beginning of the year they want to interview and they go to Parliament House at the end of the year and interview this person and whatever the school was chose me for for their interviewee so uh, they go along to Parliament House that week and they look up all the newspapers and see what's going on and then they do a bit, bit of an interview on the couch and so we did that and that was fine and then I was talking to them afterwards, there were three of them and unsurprisingly I thought as I chatted to them they were all, all their parents had been through divorce and court proceedings so that sort of self-selected group but the interesting part for me was that they all talked about my case. Now that might seem unexceptional, but lawyers and judges think about you know, the case, the parents' case, the parents' name on the file, you know, it's the parents' case. And they, these, these young people talked about, well, my case was about my case, and that that's when it dawned on me, I thought, mm, just a minute, you know, we aren't, and they complained that they didn't think their voices had been heard. In my case, I didn't get a chance, and so I thought then, okay, we've got a fair bit of work to do with this. Now, I regrettably wasn't able to advance it as much as I would have liked by the time I left, but I think it's really important that we try to do that.
0: And you are doing work in that space now, Yeah. retirement mm. Yes. Um, you mentioned something about education at schools that mm. really, my ears pricked up when you said that, and I think that's really interesting, because I know at some schools there are programs, but I'm finding it's more, and this is got, speaking anecdotally, it's more ad hoc. Are you thinking about something more standardised, where there's like a more...
1: Well, I, think, I think schools are starting to... Um, uh, to, to do more in the sort of well-being space for kids. And I, I actually went to a, a conference, the positive schools conference this year for two days And as a result of being chair of the National Centre Against Bullying. I thought, oh, I better i better learn. Yeah. Lots of things are happening in schools. i better go and educate myself about what's going on. So I did. And schools are dealing with well-being quite a lot now. Many schools are. And I think there's a good place to incorporate this... In that, I mean, you don't have to tell young kids that, you know, that their parents are necessarily going to separate, mm. but I think giving them some understanding of how you deal with these issues and the importance of respect and so Awareness. Of Awareness, it. So they don't feel yeah. like they're the
0: only, I and mean, they certainly wouldn't be the yes. only child yeah. in the classroom, mm. you know, if they were mm. a child whose parents are separating. Yeah. But maybe they just don't realise their other peers are going through a similar yes. thing. Or, I think that is definitely helpful. And any other thoughts for
1: major sort of ideas? Well, major idea, I think the, the government should, should treat this as, as a, a project they really have to do something about. And someone today, I think, made the, the, the appropriate point. He said, you know, if somebody went into um, a school and, and shot a whole of children, there'd be counselling for everyone in the school and so forth, and yet we've got a system where children are damaged in some ways in the system every day simply by their parents being in conflict and we don't really give them enough support and we should do that more. And I think that I really do think the government does need to get into the space and and have a campaign where we try to educate people that conflict for their children is not good and that they really need to resolve it as early as they can. Um, Now there are some cases of course that can't be resolved. family violence issues, serious sexual abuse allegations, personality disorders, those cases are really usually incapable of resolution amicably, and you do need courts to deal with them. But we do also need systems within our courts, better than we have, to, I think, to get through cases more quickly. I would stream cases into different streams so that we can give the appropriate attention to those cases. So the people who've got the really complex case that's going to take ages and there is difficult to manage because sometimes they don't turn up. Um, You don't want people whose case is going to be easier to dispose of in the same list with those other people because it'll all just get caught up. And that's when people stay in the list too long, it's when it costs them too much money, spend too much of their, putting their life on hold, that's when people get very unhappy with the system. So I would like to see better streaming of, of the right, triaging everything when it first comes into court with a case assessment conference and sending people off to the right list. So if right list, their case okay. is not complex, they can get it dealt with fairly quickly and okay. get out.
0: No, that's really interesting, so about this sort of streaming of cases and yeah. keeping sort of, every case is different of course, but yeah. cases that maybe are more hmm. simple together and then yeah. cases that are more complicated yeah. together so that it's
1: uh, all... Yeah, and that was the whole idea of the um, of the setting up the Federal Magistrates Court in 2000. And let me say it worked. Um, for about four years it worked pretty well, but then there were more and more cases and there were less judges appointed to the Family Court and the more more work went to the Federal Circuit Court and so from being able to handle things really quickly, which we definitely did at the beginning, it got bogged down. What
0: were the de- delays like originally? Because um,
1: you've seen it all from the start. Like, oh, when we started, in the first couple of months we didn't have any lists at all. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you could just organise, a, hear a case in you know, three weeks' time, it was amazing. Um, we did all sorts of things, I, I remember. we made. I had an order over the over the phone. We were having a mention, and something needed to be set aside because an order had been made um, where someone wasn't present and had filed an application. I was just doing a mention on the phone, and the lawyers had their clients with them, and they told me what the issue was that they wanted to re and I said to them, "Well, I could actually deal with that now if you like, if you just want to do it on submissions, because I've read the material, and you know, I told them what I thought the facts were, and." They both got instructions and they said, yeah, would you? We'll do submissions on the phone. And they did. And I gave them a judgment on the phone.
0: Sometimes having the, and they went away
1: absolutely happy. Do you know what
0: I think? I think there's actually a real value in and of itself of just having a decision made. Like oh, when they can't decide. there's no
1: doubt about When, when and I, they can move
0: forward. When yeah. we were
1: setting up the court originally in 2000, I spoke to a lot of people who were involved in decision making. So some registrars, magistrates and other courts, judges. I, got, I went around the country for the first five months before we started and getting some advice. And the advice I got was this, if, if you give people a reasonably timely hearing um, and you, um, the hearing itself doesn't take too long, they're listened to and they're heard fairly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you give them a decision quickly as well with you know, adequate reasons sure. for the decision. They will, and it ha- so it won't have cost them a fortune. It won't have put their lives on hold. They will live with that decision, even if it's not what they wanted. And that's exactly what it's we found.
0: Living in limbo, that I think yeah, can be very stressful course. for
1: people. And so our appeal rate was was very low. because people got a decision. They thought it was a fair decision. Mm. had due process. They had due process. might not be exactly what they wanted, but you know, they go in with the They could accept most of the it. They could accept it. Now, look, I think life's got more complex yeah. since yeah. 2000. Um, yeah. Most of the easier cases are in mediation and, and, sep- and settle before they come to court. So the courts have definitely got the harder cases. And I talk to certainly my former colleagues in the family court, and they say, always they say, you have no idea how hard the cases are now. <laughs> Every case is hard, and the psychologists I speak to at this conference say the same thing. You have no idea how complex every single case is these days that's going to court. And, you know, that's that's unfortunate. That's... Of the, part of the cohort that particularly the family court gets. Um, but you don't want to intermingle that mm. with the cases that ought to be disposed of more quickly and easily.
0: Just one more thing I wanted to ask you about if it's okay to go there. You mentioned you don't like when people say the family law system is broken and mm. that phrase. Mm. What parts of it do you see, I mean obviously you acknowledge there are things we need to work on, but mm. what parts are actually, do you think, are good that we do
1: in Australia? Well in Australia we we have, a first of all we have independent children's lawyers. Now we don't have every case, that so would be nice if we did, but we have them in many cases. And we We certainly have them in the most difficult cases that we need and most other judicial systems around the world don't have that. So that's a pretty big start. I mean, there are are many places in the world where judges have to interview children and I've heard judges who quite like doing it. I've heard some who are probably quite good at it. I've heard others who don't like doing it and probably aren't good at it but they don't have a choice because there's no other system. Now we're lucky, we have a good system. We have a good system of family reports as well. So we have you know, expert witnesses and expert advice. So that part of our system works really well and we also have a very well-funded sort of mediation ADR system as well um, and that's all that's really good. And you know, we've got to be careful not to not to say it's all
0: terrible. Well, it's all
1: terrible. it's not you. all terrible. But there's no doubt there's lots of delays. We need to fix that. Um, but I think there are ways of doing it. And it would be nice to change the culture. And up, Leading up to, to this conference, I was thinking about culture. Because in, I think it's, I can't remember whether it's Denmark or Sweden now. But I think one might, of those might be countries. one of those Scandinavian <laughs> countries. It might be Sweden. Um, they actually have a presumption of sharing the child, and they do. And they actually share the child. That's completely normal. I mean, they, have, they also have a, an employment system that enables both of them to spend time with the children, um, and it's very child-friendly. But they do, and they don't think about arguing about time with the children. Now, there, there must be cases, I mean, there would be, I know, where, where they've got to make decisions, and it's difficult. But the overriding culture is that these cases... You know, people should share their children and they shouldn't be fighting about them. Now, I'm not saying you could translate that exactly into Australia, but I think we do need to seriously paradigm. have a culture that, you know, we don't go to court. We should avoid court at all costs. That should be the culture, not what I'm off to court Court's now. first resort. Yeah. yeah,
0: Look, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate this interview. You've been very generous in terms of your ideas and giving of yourself and your, your thoughts, and I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Dr.